Welcome, Cow Horse. Full Contact by Ben Self with host Chris Dawson and Russell Dilday. This episode is brought to us by our friends at Martin Saddlery. Quality is number one. They build those saddles from a block of wood all the way to the finished product. Build their own tree, do their own carving. Doesn't get any better. Go see them on Facebook at martinsaddlery.com. Well, here we are with legendary Jeff Matters. He is a GM here at the Cowboy Channel. He's nice enough to let me and Russell come and join him here in their conference room. And he just come off of commentating the run for the million cow horse and ranching the cowboy ranch class. Yeah. Yep. Invitational. So we're getting a visit with him a little bit about it. So I hope you guys enjoy. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about, uh, it's been a minute probably since you commentated a cow horse event. No, I, you know, I've done, I've done the snaffle bit on the Cowboy Channel the last couple of years. Oh, okay. So I've tried to get all the majors on there from raining, cutting and, and rain cow horse. So, and I, the snaffle bit is, I, I just think it's the, just the most amazing futurity. Um, I, when I got the Cowboy Channel, I, cause I, I did America's horse for, for AQHA. I did that show for almost 15 years. And like, part of my goal was just to kind of recreate that. You know, where you got the best of the cutting, the best of the reining, uh, American quarters racing, all the rain cow horse kind of stuff. And uh, it's kind of a fire hose of rodeo stuff here. But, you know, my goal is never for it to be the, the rodeo channel. You know, it's so important to get that other stuff in there because it's just great stuff. It's great cowboys, great stories, amazing horses. And, and you know, you guys know as well as I do, it's a big tent in that, that Western world. And my, my goal is just to create something for everybody. Well, I think you guys have done a fantastic job. And I mean, and just the the whole culture shift that we've experienced in the last couple of years. I mean, you guys have been so instrumental in that. I mean, it's just, it's cool to be a cowboy again. It is. It's a great time to be wearing a hat. Absolutely. You know, it's a uh, part of that, I think, is is what Taylor's done with you know, Run for a Million, I think is huge. Uh, Yellowstone, obviously, 1883. You know, my, my older sister, even though she grew up on a ranch in southeastern Oklahoma, doesn't know which in the hay goes in or the poop comes out, but she's totally into that, the last cowboy stuff and raining. Right. You know, and, and, uh, which is mind boggling, but you know, with her, but yeah, it's, it's, that's created a big wave. I think cowboy channels created a big wave when you look at, uh, cause I was involved with all the production with PRCA and 2019 was the last time that it was on, um, CBS. They did in the last two years, they did, they did eight rodeos and in, in 18, and seven rodeos on CBS in 19. So 15 total shows on CBS Sports Network. And the total viewership for those 15 rodeos was less than $2 million. I mean, 2 million viewers. And now you look at, at the Cowboy Channel in 20, uh, 150 million people watch pro rodeo. Whoa. So the difference in the eyeballs there was, was astronomical. Oh, that's incredible. COVID was good for us, really. I mean, yeah. we, we wound up with a a brand new network and a captive audience. Uh, I know it was bad for everybody else, but for us, it was a, it was a chance to get our feet on the ground and come up with a, a formula and the way we do, we're going to do rodeos. And Patrick's goal was just to, to air every possible rodeo that he could get. And uh, it, it feels like we pretty much have, have done that you know, the last couple of years. Yeah. It's a, it's amazing how much the quality on those channels has gone 
up in the last few years as far as the programming goes you know everybody's looking for more rodeo because of the covid you know all the other short uh, sports shut down basically yeah. they kind of quit so everybody's looking around here comes rodeo still pounding along and then there's that much more of it to see in the last two years while they'll trap so it lets everybody go there and pick favorites you know even when that um it reminds me of when the ufc first came out you didn't know anyone well then it kind of gets going you start picking favorites you see more fights in a in a event you didn't even know was there and then you start rooting for him to win or you root for him to lose which whether yeah. you like them or not you know and but the amount of fights you got to see just gets you gets more fans and it looks like that's what's happening with the rodeo deal too do you guys know who kenny rice is have you ever seen kenny, kenny does if you watch the red racing on nbc Kenny's on there because I, I did the red racing with Kenny for a long time. And, and in the 2000s, you know, Kenny and I were talking and, and he did that UFC, a lot of the UFC fights. As oh, a broadcaster. Really? Nobody else would do it. It was so violent that they couldn't get anybody reputable to come in there and and do the play by play and that stuff. And he was making like fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars a night to do the TV. I was like, sign me up. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> Please sign me up. I'll re- recreate the gladiators if you want to <laughs> for 15, 20 grand a night. I'll come in there and do the play I'm by in. play. Ooh, that looks like that hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, but yeah, and obviously it's gone way more mainstream now, but I was like, man, that that's count me in. I'll, I'll jump in on that. Crazy. Yeah. So the first time I met you, we did. We did some commentating, and it's so long ago, I can't remember what it was. It, Maybe Snaffle Bit, it, our but greatest. Yeah, like in San Antonio? Was that where we... Was that San where Angelo? We, no. I don't remember. Uh, it was, was it? a long, long time, time ago. ago. Yeah. But it was before you started your group. Yeah. And... Maybe I, maybe you went somewhere else for a while after that. I know well, you went to the... It was before you started at the NFR, or when you just had started... And you didn't have the Geronimo group yet. So, like, my first NFR was 91. But I... That was a while ago. Yeah, but I... <laughs> I you know, like, when I stopped doing America's Horse, um, a guy named Van Williams did it out of San Antonio. And so, like, we'd fly in there and different people would come in and, and we'd voice different things. But that would have been, like, early 2000s. Yeah, it yeah. probably was yeah. in San Antonio. But I, we, but I can't remember what event we did. Maybe the world's greatest. It might have been, yeah. If it wasn't, it was a snaffle bit. Yeah. But you've come a long way since so, then. I was still kind of, in terms of a host, like a gun for hire. Yeah. You know, in the early 2000s. I'd, I'd been at Wintercom, and uh, it's when I started on, I was a sportscaster in Tulsa. You know, and I, and I, I grew up on a ranch and was a cowboy. But, I mean, I, I love sports and stuff. I just wanted to be a sportscaster. So I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the NBC station there, and... Wintercom was a company that got started. They, they got started doing quarter horse racing, like syndicated quarter horse racing from, from Rio Dosa is what they did. And they thought they got Chris Lincoln. who You guys probably know who Chris is because he was the face of thoroughbred racing for a long time. And he was the I, I got into business because of Chris. Chris spoke at my all-sports banquet when I was a junior in high school, and I was like, that's it. That's what I want to be. He was the sports director at the ABC station in Tulsa. And uh, that set me on my path. And... I majored in TV day one in college and went right to it. And I wanted Chris's job at, at the ABC station, but I wound up at the NBC station. And then Chris got sidetracked with these guys doing quarter horse racing. And uh, they thought they they hit a gold mine. And 
there were times that they had in their refrigerator at Wintercom in Tulsa, they had frozen semen that they were holding as collateral <laughs> from ranches that owed them money. You know, I mean, and and they were like millions of dollars in debt. And then Jim Wilburn is the guy that, that started it with Chris. And Jim is the greatest big-time TV salesman that's ever lived. And he was just like a local sales guy for the ABC station. And he created Budweiser Racing Across America. Uh, they created, you know, the, the weekly thoroughbred racing show. Jim, in, a, in an industry where nobody could make a dime, Jim made millions because uh, he's an amazing television sales guy. And they, they picked up America's Horse, and they hired a friend of mine to produce it, and they, they called me and said, hey, can you do cutting and reining? And I was like, well, I can do cutting. I don't know about reining. First time I watched a reining run, I was like, I have no idea what the hell that is. <laughs> no idea. I mean, I was like, I'm, I'm, I got, I, I'm, I'm lost. <laughs> I can do it now. I can do it now in my sleep. You know, and uh, and I talked to him into Mike Perkins coming in as being my analyst, but that's kind of what got st- got me started on that road. It was just, you know, and, and then they, they picked up Pro Rodeo in 91. My first American horse was 1988 and loved it. You know, I saw every cut and ran and cow horses, you know, ranches and, and quarter horse racing and stuff. Then they picked up Pro Rodeo and then they I went to work for them full time. And uh, But yeah, but by the time I got to 2000, I was ready to be my, I started somebody telling me what to do. I don't, I don't work and play well with others sometimes down that line. And that's what's been interesting here. I went to work for Patrick. I'd, I'd worked for myself for 20 years. But by the time I got to 2000, I was kind of tired. I just I had a great job. My father-in-law and my wife were like, you're going to do what? I was like, I'm going to quit. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and just be a freelance freelance host. And, and my goal was to get that production company started. And I started Geronimo in 2000. But it took a while before I got a, a production contract where I could actually Say I was in the production business, just hosting stuff. Just have business cards. Yeah, and that's a long way to get back to you and me in San Antonio voicing for, for AQHA and Van Williams and those guys right there. Uh, and so, you passed up your pilot's career. I did, to yeah. Do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I probably saved lives. <laughs> <laughs> saved lives. Yours you know? and hundreds others. Yeah, because I grew up in a small town in southeastern Oklahoma, and I, I was an all-state football player. Loved all that stuff. And the a retired Air Force general came and sat down with me and my parents one night. He set up the meeting. He was like, I think you would make a great Air Force pilot. And gave us the whole spiel and said, I'll, I'll get you in the Air Force Academy. And, you know, and then once you get out, you know, if you want to, if you don't want to fly for a commercial airline, I'll get you a job. Because at that time, he graded the guys that graded airline pilots. And he was like, I'll get you a job grading airline pilots. And I kind of weighed on it and thought about it. And I was like, you know, I wrecked my Camaro three times. I don't think, you know, you put me in uh, you put me in an Air Force jet. I don't, I don't know my chances of surviving one's very good, let alone... I, or probably I could eject and do the parachute. But I think the government, by the time I burn three of them, would be like, hey, we're, wait a minute. Yeah, we're moving you to the commissary. You had your own soundtrack, a danger zone would have played every time you walked around. And I, I think if I was a commercial airline pilot, the fact that every time I got on the plane, I had a parachute on <laughs> might make everybody a little bit uneasy. <laughs> might make them a little uneasy. So, Let's make sure we get Jeff seated before we yeah. start boarding. I got like a helmet well, yeah. and a parachute. So I have jumped out of a plane, but I, I'm not sure I want to do it again. <laughs> Once was enough. Was it when you were flying? No, I, I, you know, I, I had... Uh, 
I had set it up when I was a sportscaster in Tulsa to jump out of a plane. And um, Jerry Weber was the, the main news anchor. I loved him. He was like a dad to me. He's, he's passed away. But we're on the air. I filled in, and, I, and I'm anchoring. He goes, you got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, you're going you're gonna to skydive, aren't you? And I was like, oh, good Lord. My mom's watching. <laughs> and, and I said, you just put the kibosh on that. And I mean, I didn't even make it back to my desk. My phone was ringing. It was my mom. I didn't raise an idiot. I didn't raise an idiot. You're not jumping out of a plane. So I put it off about three months, and she didn't know it. And then I, I, I jumped out of a plane. But I'll be honest. That was kind of a sleepless night. Yeah, you're just kind of going, hmm. What a terrible yeah. way to think <laughs> all the way down. And the whole time you're going to hear, I didn't raise an idiot. <laughs> yes, you did. Mom. All the way down. Yeah. No. His last she words were, yes, she you was did, wrong. Mom. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Don't take your yeah. guns to town. No. <laughs> What's for lunch? And yes, you did. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My stepdad, he decided to uh, start his skydiving career at 78. Nice. So. I mean, his mom wasn't here to right him she close was. to the end. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna have to bungee. It's I mean, been a good life. I got a bungee though too. That's on my list. I'm gonna have to bungee. The so. worst thing about the bungee would be if you came unhooked after the first pull. <laughs> then you just do some flips and make it look good. Try to stick the landing. <laughs> I think I've roped too many calves to want a bungee jump. <laughs> See, it too many times. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's are you up. sure how far is that now mm. and how long are these bungee cords <laughs> yeah make and sure that's right <laughs> that's probably a good time not to lie about your weight either <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. i'm 186.7 today i'm gonna add 10 yeah this add 10 <laughs> i weigh Way 313 bigger. pounds i've been bulking up really <laughs> i'm big boned i'm really big boned i weigh a lot more than i look so uh, so where were you raised? Tallahassee, Oklahoma. And on on a, you got brothers and sisters. I do. I've got an older sister, and then I have a, a younger brother and sister. And I we grew up on a ranch down there. It's it really is kind of deliverance country. It's beautiful. You know, it's national forest and mountains, and people don't really realize that Oklahoma can look like that. But if I live to be one hundred and thirty years old, that'll always be home. My brothers, my my grandfather never worked a day in his life. He never worked a day in his life. He got up before dawn, and it was all cattle and baling hay, and and to him that was just pure recreation, pure fun. And, and my brother's the same way. If my brother can't see a cow, he's not happy. Huh? You know? So he's still there. Oh yeah, he won't come to any family functions because you know you have dinner at seven, and he if it's he's doctoring a cow or he's doing whatever, and he doesn't show up till <laughs> till nine, you know. And those they've never worked a day in their life, and they they're before dawn and way after dark and it's all cows and i i tell you what i i can tell you 30 minutes into my baling hay and hauling hay career i knew this was not going to be <laughs> what i did the rest of my life i was pretty damn sure of that so. sports casting was the, looking right the, oh yeah the, i might even take a shot at that airline <laughs> that airplane pilot deal oh, but it, this it is not really it. good if, if it was baling hay or yeah, I don't even need any training. Just put me in that thing. <laughs> I'll, I'll train on the go. But but yeah, he's yeah. We still have the ranch down there, and um, he's he stays pretty busy. And what about your other ones? Uh, my youngest sister is a firefighter in Nashville, and my older sister is I don't know what Janae does. Uh, she's been a dental hygienist. Um, she has a business that she she's uh, it's like women's clothing online. Uh, 
She's a character. She's the biggest character in the family. Uh. Um, yeah, she's a she's something. She's Elaine from Seinfeld. Is who she is. <laughs> I don't know if you, you know that. That's the easiest way for me to describe her. Looks like her and is just like her. Uh, but yeah, she's a hoot. But she she lives in southeastern Oklahoma. She lives down there in Wilberton. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you got to know the handshake and speak the language in that part of the in that part of the country. I uh, I'll tell you a quick story. Jerry Weber, who was he was uh, he was like my mentor. He was a sportscaster in Tulsa for like eighteen years, and I interned at the NBC station with him um, when I was at my last semester of college. Loved him, and he helped me get my first job. And the whole deal was when his weekend anchor left that I was coming back to be his weekend anchor. And I'm in Midland, Odessa, Texas at the NBC station there. And his weekend guy leaves. And then Jerry moves to Noose. And so I had to fly back. So I didn't even know if I was going to get the job, but I wound up getting it. And Frank Keating had been elected governor and he did a whole tour of the state. And he winds up down, he ends it in like Broken Bow, you know, in, in southeastern Oklahoma. And Jerry's driving back with his camera guy. And he's about 10 miles from Tallahena. And I know exactly where it is. It's an old rodeo arena. It's all grown over and the sun's setting. And he loves that. He's like, Royal, get out and get a shot of that. I junior rodeoed in that arena when I was a kid. And so he said, we're shooting it. And uh, Royal gets across the fence and he's shooting. It was the next thing you know, three pickups come in full speed and power slide in. And they get out and he goes, and they are so really mad. And he goes, somewhere in the conversation, I said, I knew Jeff matters. He goes, everything stopped. <laughs> They said, you know Jeff? And he said, Jesus Christ, he's like a son to me. And he slapped me on the back and said, you're okay. And they got in their trucks and they drove <laughs> He said, you saved our lives and you weren't even there. <laughs> I was like, don't get off the beaten path in southeastern Oklahoma. <laughs> I was like, Jerry, that could have gone either way. <laughs> could have gone either way. We could, could never still, have still, seen you again. Exactly. We could still be looking for you. You could be a cold case. Like, yeah. only, you, could be a, you could be a 2020 episode. Yeah. I can I can't think southern eastern southeastern Oklahoma without thinking about Uncle Slayton and a certain Larry McMurtry song about Choctaw Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> I want a lot of money to that song with Ray Wiley singing it, but yeah, and so and it's you it, and he, he could be one of Uncle Slayton's. I don't know. There might be some relatives back you, there. You like Ray Wiley, don't you? I do. Yeah, I love his story about uh, uh, was it Redneck Mothers? Yeah, they yes, them up against the wall, yeah, Redneck yeah, Mothers. Yeah. <laughs> I like his story about how he wrote it, about the two bars in Bandera. Uh-huh. But, yeah. Yeah. I saw him during Jerry Jeff's birthday weekend one time when we were just on, on stage and telling stories. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, how did he write it? Well, he was talking about there was, there's two bars in Bandera, and by his house was a country bar, and the rock and roll bar was on the other side of town. And one night he was too tired to drive all the way across town to go to the, the rock and roll bar, so he just went to the country bar and walked in the door and ran square into Betty Lou Thelma Liz and he got his ass whipped that night and, you know, <laughs> and he rode up against the wall running mothers. <laughs> All the inspiration he needed was right there in the right country there. bar that night. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He collided with opportunity that night and he's still singing that song today. So yeah. It was an ass whipping worth taking. All right. So yeah. I, I live by some uh, Ray Wiley adage, honestly. So the days I keep my gratitude higher than my expectations. I have really good days. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. And so like I said, yep. I was trying to remind myself that every day. It's not bad. No. It's Especially bad. when you train three-year-olds for a living. Yeah. So when you started out with your company, what were the trials and tribulations of that? You know, First of all, the pay cut. 
You know what? The first year that I quit, I made as much money as I've ever made. Really? But a lot of that was just I was freelancing so much talent. I mean, I went everywhere. I did thoroughbred racing. I did rodeo. I did stuff for CBS. I kind of they went all over the world. It was fun. Uh, for me, the biggest trial is getting that first production contract. You know, somebody that can turn your lights on and and uh, and uh, you know get you where you need to be. And that turned out to be championship bull riding that I did with Tuff Edeman and, and those guys. Um, CBR was on the Outdoor Channel, and it was produced to the point where you couldn't really even watch it. And so I convinced them that I could I could give them a product that was on par with with everything else that was going on. So that really kind of that that helped me and, and helped get my door open. And Wes Bruce, who passed away last week, was the guy that uh, you know that I talked to and made the deal with down that line. But you know, and then once you get a good production contract and people can see the quality of programming that you're going to put out there, it made it a whole lot easier. Um, the snag for me is I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to produce, I just wanted four or five clients and I wanted it all to be with a cowboy hat, you know, and so I picked up high school rodeo and we did some other stuff and I did some, some non-Western sports, but, uh, you know, it's getting that first production contract where, where you kind of have a calling card ring, show people what you can do. That's that's the toughest part of it. What were the non-Western sports? Uh, women's billiards. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, we did that for produced that for ESPN, um, which was really fun to do. Um, I bet you know they're there. We we did that all across the the country. We did their tour, you know, and that was that was a, an absolute blast. And then I picked up a bunch of uh, corporate work too. It was fantastic. The budgets are way different in the corporate world when you're doing you know, video series and some things down that line. Still challenging and still still fun stuff to do, but way better budgets. Mm. So, Did you do motocross? I did MotoGP, MotoGP. which is like the F1 of European racing. Mm. But I was just the host on that for CBS. Mm. And I was there in, you know, what, 2010, 11, somewhere in there. And the, it was amazing, the technology that they had. These guys were based out of Barcelona. And they were so far advanced uh, over anything I'd seen in the U.S. Uh, you had these cam, these these motorcycles. They had cameras you could see from the clutch to the the front brake, gear shift, forward, sideways, backwards, uh, you name it. Looking back at the rider, they had cameras all over these motorcycles, you know, and they're doing two hundred plus miles an hour mm. on these tracks. Um, I thought I was blown away by those guys. They're based out of Barcelona, and they and they're they're not fooling around with their television. Mm. So, how did you, how do you become a man, a commentator in so many sports? Just uh, like when you didn't know what the raining was, how did you get to where you did? You know, it, it's that was one of those things where it's kind of baptism by fire. Uh, like MotoGP, I watched a lot of shows, and you try to study up, and you try to get to the point where. I mean, I think the good commentators in football, you have, you know, you, you create lineup cards where you can see the lineups and the numbers and who they are. They study so hard when they look at they they can see 18 and that's C.D. Lamb or, you know, or Ezekiel Elliott. But you, you get to the point where you pretty much memorize, you know, the colors and who they are. And so you're not searching for names and you can get a little bit more involved with, with, with that. And I think it's all about what you see. You know, it's TV is just talking about what's on the screen um, and, and not trying to add anything to it. But I, the only approach I have is it's I never want it to be about me. 
never ever do I want I, I don't want to you know you see a lot of announcers and stuff that you know they're they want to be part of the story I just want to tell you what's going on as simply as I can and set up my analysts so they can take it even deeper and then I just try to stay out of the way mm, and then the, so you're mostly most of the time you've had an analyst mm-hmm. and you're setting them up you're doing exactly. the, the numbers and the names and then they're commenting more on what's actually happened why the wreck happened on the motorcycle or why it didn't or what made that a great turn or yeah and you won't hear me i may have an opinion uh during the national finals rodeo but why would you care (laughs) (laughs) why would you care i've never been there never done it you know and that makes it hard for me a lot of times to to listen to a lot of print media that want to sit there and tell you what the dallas cowboys should have done or this or that i'm kind of I, I don't know if you remember Mike Lupica, who used to be on, like, the sports reporters on ESPN. You know, he's tiny, you know, just a writer, chirpy, all kinds of opinions. And I agreed with Terry Bradshaw because he was pretty negative on Terry and his career. And Terry said, why would I care what a guy that has to sit on two pillows to be tall enough to be on television thinks about my career? <laughs> Down that line. But, yeah, I'm just trying to – I'm just trying to, to – you know, I, I'm the quarterback. I just get it from point A to point B and let the other guys – be the experts. Mm. But that lets you be in a lot of sports and the experts are only in one. So it lets yep. you move through so many things. Like I was just thinking about when you go to the billiards, there's, here's a whole new world that you haven't been in. And you I got didn't figure, commentate that. Oh, you we didn't? We produced it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a guy. Yeah, I didn't do that one, but thank goodness. Uh, you know, and a lot of those sports are slow. Baseball's really hard to do. I've never done baseball. Baseball's really slow. I mean, it's a, it, it's not a fast-moving sport. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I'm just – I learn enough to be dangerous. That's, that's pretty much my MO. <laughs> kind of sounds like us with this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't no kidding. I still got my dad. He's an outlaw. He's 80. He's as dangerous as he ever was. So. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> You got both of them? You have your mom? No, I lost my mom a few years ago. Yeah. Mm. So it's been gone a few years, but yeah. Mm. He's still going. The older you get, the more people die. Notice that. God damn. I watch like celebrities that die, and you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like, makes me feel old. Mm. It is crazy. How many? And then not only do they get old and start dying, but then just the accidents happen too. Because you've lived so long, you learn, you meet more people, so now there's more people that just die. On the ride up there in California, I Pete Carr, I love to give Pete Carr grief. I don't know if you know Pete, but he's so funny. But they have like the Enramada where they honor the the, the rancheros that... that passed away in the previous year and then our camp has one and guys were getting up there and telling stories about those guys that passed away and i was like pete i can't wait for you to die so i can get up there and talk about you (laughs) (laughs) he didn't think it was funny he looked like i'd shot him in the chest (laughs) yeah cj murphy was telling me you were uh yeah remember the the stories he's in the mavericks class under one year behind me Uh uh-huh yeah Mm. Yeah, that's that's quite the deal. I mean, Russell, have you been up there and judged? I've been up that? there a little bit. You have one time. Just good fellowship. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's uh, the food is incredible. Incredible, and I love bocce ball. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They got those courts everywhere. Yeah. I didn't. I love poker too, and I didn't get on the poker games. I might go back some time. I was so I had heard so many stories about what they do to you when you go to sleep that I they had a bed in the tent and I just snuck out and went down and slept in my car. So I don't trust any of them. Really? <laughs> yeah. But you weren't, you got to be a maverick for me yeah. to you, right? Yeah, whatever. Whatever. Yeah, 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 whatever. They're, they're not, not, not going to mess with you as a guest. No. <laughs> no. I, no. I did no. not trust well, them. Well, that's all I've heard as well is, yeah. Now, when you're a maverick, it's a whole... A whole different whole game. Story. Yeah. But that's just like the pledge class. But. I've heard that the maverick camp is just torn clothing. Well, I actually saw it. There was just torn clothing around the Maverick Bar where they've been defending their bar. It's a little Western. <laughs> but what happens Western. what happens there stays there. Yep. Russell. <laughs> well, you ought to know that kind of thing. <laughs> wear strong clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wear two shirts. Yeah, or yeah. Wear two shirts. You really want to tear away jersey like the old football players? Yeah, that's just what you want. slip out of it. Yeah. Velcro that's out of what it. You want. That's what you're after. So, who is in your Maverick class with you? Uh, in my Maverick class, uh, Greg Brown, who had Cowboys and Indians. Yeah, Greg's Greg's a good friend. Love him. James Miller, who's the uh, GM of the uh, Red Bluff Roundup up there. Married to Nellie Miller, the world champion barrel racer. Um, yeah, there's there's a bunch of good guys, bunch of, some great hardcore cowboys. Probably the most famous one um, is Peter Oppenheimer, who was the the CFO for Apple for Steve Jobs for a decade. Highly Jeez. involved in Cal Poly, you know, and yeah. Uh. So, mm-hmm. yep, fun guys. How long have you been there? Uh, I was I went in in seventeen, so. Oh, not that long. Mm-mm. Had you been before I went that? in the 90s. I went in the 90s and loved it, but my kids were little. Mm. So it was one of those things where I would love to have been a part of it. And, um, you know, and uh, I just, it just didn't work out. And then they, then I really wanted to be a member. And I have two daughters that played high school golf. And they were four years apart. So, and the state championship in golf is that first week in May. And so I had that cost me eight years of it right there. I wish I'd gone in when I was in my thirties because that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I like that Clovis Mafia, you know, that you got up there. John Semper, I love John. Yep. And I met John. I met John and doing rain cow horse stuff for America's Horse in the nineties. Yeah, Vince Jenko, Joe Claire, it's a great guy. Brings me a horse every year, and he just they take good care of me. I'm Maverick here. They didn't bring me a very good horse, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that was just coincidence. <laughs> just odd. Yep. yep. This happenstance. Yeah. So how old are the kids now? Oh, my kids are 27, 25, 25, 21. Twins? Yeah, I have twins in there. My son's a prosecutor in Tulsa. Um, he works for the DA's office. Um, he, he prosecutes gangs at the moment. Uh, wants to do capital murder. He's not gonna run out of work. No, no. <laughs> he's finding out. He's finding out that he grew up in Tulsa, kind of in a bubble. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a. There's a seedy underbelly to the city uh, that he's, he's he's getting to see firsthand 
Uh, then I have twin girls, my oldest twin, by a couple of minutes. Mackenzie's she's in her final semester of law school at TU. She played golf at the University of Tulsa. And then her twin sister, Maddie's my... She, I call her my hippie chick, and that kind of makes her mad. But Maddie's really a lot like me. She has that attitude, it'll all work out. You know, and that's just kind of how she goes. She works with special needs kids. Um, and then Meg, my youngest... Um, she is Jethro Bodine. She's torn between being a brain surgeon and a fry cook. So <laughs> she's graduated from Oklahoma State, and I, I don't know what she's going to do. I have no idea. So, That's uh, awesome. And she doesn't either yet. She doesn't either, no. But talented enough to do anything. She's a good golfer, too. Didn't want to play college golf. Um, but, yeah, she's, she's just starting to figure it out. And that's weird. For me, I, I'd be a horrible career counselor. You know, like I told you, I decided what I was going to be when I was a junior in high school. You know, and I'm still doing it. You know, I never wavered and never wanted to do anything else. I flirted with with running for Congress because I'm kind of became kind of a political monster, and floated the idea past my wife. And when she stopped laughing, she was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, you know. "So, but that's the only time I've ever kind of wavered from." Then we can have we could have two friends. We could have yeah. Paul Bailey and Jeff Benders. Yeah. yeah, that was that was in the that was in the the late '90s and early 2000s. Uh. You know, because I'm I'm right of rush, um, but you know it's it's one of things. And my and my youngest daughter, who she's she's the only kid that really I think would really flourish in television. Uh, she she's she was really she's been good on camera since she was, you know, in junior high. You know, we we used her on videos and stuff. And she you worry about your kids going to college and coming home like crazy left. Yeah, you know she was she was right of center when she went to college, and when she came home, she was probably right of me. Oh, you know? really? Yeah. So I mean, she would be, she'd be, she should be, she could probably make it as a news anchor, you know, on a, on a Fox or something down that line. But I don't know that she'll take the television route. Huh? I'm scared to steer her that way. Well, we need someone there. Yeah. That's. I wonder if uh, could the rule deal go with the news? More of a right news, like on. Just on your own station, you know. Patrick tries to stay out of the politics. Well, that's probably good. You know, I mean, because it's, it's so divisive anymore. It's hard to. I, I was doing a rodeo with McKee over there in our studio, and he brings up politics. I'm just like, oh, good lord! <laughs> and I knew where that was going. And Patrick like sends texts, lighting us both up. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't say a thing. <laughs> yeah, so he likes to stay away from politics. So. You eliminate it. I mean, you, you, you offend part of your audience of, yeah. you know, for the most part. And I used to be an idiot on Facebook all the time because I would just go, get on rants. And I realized I'm probably eliminating about half my friends. So I just stopped putting anything on. I'm not going to change anybody's mind anyway. So It's shocking to me how many people live our lifestyle and live on the left side of things. Me too, yeah. It's, it, it's, yeah. Shock, it's shocking, really. Huh. Like I mean, it's just, to me, it's like, well, if you're doing this, if you're whether you're enjoying it as a hobby or you're doing it for a living, you must be over here on the right side. That is not the case. Mm-mm. There's a ton of them on the left, and so like I say, it is. I know, but the just, left is not what the left used to be. Well, that's I, I don't know. I, you know I'm what not, I'm I don't know that I paid enough attention when I was younger to know the difference, but I know that it's sure divisive now. And man alive, there's a huge barrier. Seems like. But but there's still people that enjoy this lifestyle. Yeah. That 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 do that. And so I went to college, you know, as a Democrat. 
I did. You know, my grandfather fought in World War II. He thought Roosevelt saved the world. You know, I, mean, I just, I went as a Democrat. But I, unfortunately, I, I had a political science minor. And I said in, in the first couple of poli-sci classes, like, I don't have anything in common with the Democrats. You know, Reagan's president, and he's turned it around from what Carter did in, in the 70s. And I'm working cattle. I'm home from college, and I'm working cattle with my dad and my grandfather. And they're going on about how Reagan's destroying small-town America. I go, hey, I just want to chime in here. Uh, I think Walmart's destroying small-town America. And I said, uh, not only do I really like Reagan, but I'm pretty sure I'm a Republican. And they didn't say a word. They, were, they didn't say a word for 45 minutes. They were trying to figure out how to kill me and tell God I died. <laughs> That's what they were trying to do. And my dad sat with me. I got married in October of 92. And after the rehearsal dinner and stuff, he, he just stayed in my house, and he and I were sitting there talking. And I kept telling him, everything that you don't like, you vote for when you go to the polls. And he was like, you're crazy. And I kept telling him. And he told me that even before I got married, he said, son, you will never see the day I vote for a Republican. And he voted for W in, in 2000. And he is the biggest Trump card-carrying right-wing <laughs> Republican you've ever encountered in your life. He finally was like, "You're exactly right. Everything I, everything I hate, I voted for as a Democrat." So, it's crazy. Yeah, and yeah. Oklahoma, man, you look at Oklahoma, that little Dixie, you know, because I grew up in southeastern Oklahoma, and I mean, it was blue, it was blue. And then when 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 uh, Contract with America in what ninety ninety four, um, they went Republican for the first time, and Barack Obama never carried a single county in Oklahoma in both those presidential elections. It's about as red a state as you can get. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy because being raised in California, you think the Democrats and Republicans in California are there. The lines are pretty clear there. So then I moved to Oklahoma and all of the people that think like, I think so many of them are Democrats and I, I'm I'm a little taken aback about it. Yeah. And um the longer I lived there, then I read a book by James Webb. Uh, it's called Born Fight, and it's about the Scots Irish and their involvement in America and how politics go. And he was actually a presidential candidate and for the Democratic Party in um the the first election against Trump, uh with Clinton and them. Didn't even make it past the primaries. But he d- had the same thing. He went to his aunt's house, told him he was working for a Republican representative, and she threw him out of the house. Threw him out because she was a Democrat. Yeah. And it just, it's the lines that they've drawn have uh, the old Democrats, like your parents were, that isn't. That was them fighting big business, controlling labor. No that's what the Democrats were about. And now it's not this. That's not what they're about anymore. Mm. They, they're not about just that. They're about social change that I don't think that we can handle. That is where yep. the rebuild needs to be. Yeah, My I dad feel. says that he didn't leave the Democrat Party. The, the Democratic Party left him. That's exactly. What, that's what he says, yeah. That's exactly right. Uh, that James that's not what I say. I just say I, I never was a Democrat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, some guy, I, we were, where was I? I'm trying to remember where I've been this last weekend. 
Uh, I was in Rio Dosa, just went out there for a banquet, and they introduced me to this guy. He goes, yeah, I know. He's like, you're an attorney, right? I was like, I'd almost rather you call me a Democrat than an attorney. <laughs> but, yeah, he had me confused with somebody else. And, of course, I have two, an attorney and a half in my family, so I probably should be quiet. So. They know. They know. <laughs> I, my son said, I'm, I'm going to go to law school. I was like, yeah, that's exactly what the world needs, another yeah. attorney. But at least he's on the prosecuting side of things. Right. So, yeah. So I can live with that. Yeah. <laughs> There's been I've had a couple of good attorneys. Couple, you gotta have, and one. I've been tied up with some bad ones. <laughs> Russell has for you wouldn't look at Russell and think he's a man of such legal prowess. I got myself in there, man. I was thinking the other day of how many attorneys I have. It's it's absolutely insane. That, that they it's always insane. Win. Even when they lose, they win. Ah, dear Lord. Just on the show side or? No, no. I had an altercation oh, with a guy that uh, this is kind of a drug addict guy. And then we didn't agree about. He thought I should be giving him more air than I was giving him. <laughs> And oxygen, so, air. yeah, oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> but he also thought that we didn't have water, right? So we got in this big lawsuit. So then you have your first attorney that you get in the lawsuit with. Then you have the appeals attorney. Then you have the bankruptcy attorney, and then they have specialists all around. I mean, it is it is endless how much money it costs. Yeah, and it's been. Five to seven years that it's been going on. What happened to the right to a quick and speedy trial? It's unbelievable how long it takes to get through all this stuff. And if you think you're going to do it without an attorney, it's not going to happen. They're going to eat you. Yeah, They'll eat you up. So, so you make sure you have, have an attorney. So in case you <laughs> want to take someone's air away. That's <laughs> where we need the attorney, like uh, like the ambulance chasing attorney commercial in the middle of the park. Oh my right. god. <laughs> ben, get on that. Yeah. <laughs> and now and now a message from Dewey Cheatham and Howe. Dewey Cheatham and Howe. Yeah. So we'll be right back. Have you drank it? Did you drink the water at camp? Blue June. Exactly. Oh my lord. What there's a military camp one just the other day. If yeah. you were in Fort such and such, you were fed bad water. And we can get you some money. Yeah. Tort lawsuits. It's a whole nother ball of wax. <sighs> so going back to uh childhood, um I heard rumor you're an all state football player. Yeah, I I was an all state football player in um nineteen eighty one. And I, I, it was so funny because I, I checked in that week for, we were there for a week. And the first person I ran into was a guy named Tony Casillas, who was heavily recruited by the University of Oklahoma. He was wearing like bike shorts and no shirt. His pec was bigger than my head. <laughs> and obviously he was a All-American at OU, won a Super Bowl with Dallas. My joke is that, that Tony and I were both All-Staters. One of us went on to do great things. In football. <laughs> the other, the other one, one went television. Yeah, the other one not so much, but... Yeah, it was. Uh, we lost in the state finals when I was a senior. So, um, I'm, I'm I'm going back to my my hometown. Has started a hall of fame, and in October they're putting me in there. So I'm just gonna 
I'm going to go in there and, and whine about losing that football game, I guess. Because <laughs> it still haunts me to this day. So, What position did you play? Uh, I, I made all state as a defensive back. Yeah. But it was, you know, we were a small school. I played both. I never came out. I kicked. I was a fullback. I was a defensive back. So, Was it 11 man? Uh-huh. It was. Being 5'8", you know, just not a whole lot of... I, I had a couple chances to play college football, but, you know, and I, I always thought I did. But, man, when you play... A couple scrimmages in 15, 15 games, and and I was just like, ah, I, I can still walk, and I, I knew I wanted to be a sportscaster. So. But if I go back in time, I would have walked on as a kicker just because that helps you so much and, and getting a job and stuff, especially as a sportscaster. Because I was a former kicker, even though I never probably never would have seen the light of day. <laughs> and I just make a roster somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, that had to help you, though, with your sportscasting. Yeah, yeah, immensely. Yeah, just being in it, and um, yeah, and it was, you know, it was. I I love football, and I, I, it's, it's funny. My son didn't play, but you you know, you got to like pain, you know, for the football side of it, and uh, I I really enjoyed that that so much. And it was, I played basketball. I played a little bit of everything, but you can't tell now. But I mean, I could, I could dunk a volleyball behind my head when I was when I was in high school and in my twenties. But I can't jump over a bottle cap right now. So it's like I, it's like I'm handicapped. You put weights on me. So I was a little more athletic when I was younger. So talking about making that decision to be a sportscaster, you'd said that uh, you'd talk to somebody, and then it just hit you. It did. It was you know it would. I'm I'm a junior in high school. It's our all sports banquet, and uh, Chris Lincoln came and spoke, and Chris. Chris became like the face of thoroughbred racing on ESPN. And he did that for forever. And it was funny. And I, 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 I was at, uh, it was the Allstate week. And I'm, I'm walking, we're sitting dorms in Edmond, Oklahoma. And uh, I'm, I'm walking down the stairs and this guy's coming up. He goes, hey, I'm looking for Jeff Metters. I was like, like that's me. And he's like, I want to do, a, I want to do a, a story on a small town kid that's up here. And the whole gist of that article was that, you know, I wanted Chris Lincoln's job at the ABC station in Tulsa. And then I wound up working with Chris for, you know, almost 15 years. Chris was extremely talented. And yeah, it was just one of those eureka moments where I was like, you know, that's exactly what I want to do. Now, was, it, did it have anything to do with the horses when you made no, that decision or was no, more you I, wanted to be a football broadcaster? Yeah, you know, I, I just, <clears throat> I really wanted to be a major market sportscaster. You know, my goal was to get to a, a Chicago uh, and Indianapolis, some a major city where... You know, you had NBA and, and NFL and Major League Baseball. And, you know, that's that's that thank God for unanswered prayers because, you know, I mean, I, I can't imagine having to deal with a, a Dak Prescott or a LeBron James or whatever. And when you deal with the rodeo world, that's, that's kind of what, once I got into it, I was like, I don't want to go anywhere else. You know, I mean, they're the, they treat you like one of them. Uh, I'm not, I am not the kind of guy that likes to do negative stuff. Um I was, I've gotten to know Lyle. You probably know Lyle Lovett. Yeah. Lyle, Lyle was a, he was a journalism major. And he said he realized that he knew, like, when, in his early experience where there's questions you need to ask, but you just don't want to ask them. He's like, he knew it wasn't for him. So I've been in a great situation where everything I do is positive. I'm not looking to tear anybody down. I'm not looking for dirt. I, I want nothing to do with that. You know, and whether it's Trevor Brazil or... Until you talk Murray. some crap about a bull rub, about a barrel racer, and 
I'm scared of barrel racers. I'm scared, <laughs> I'm scared to death of barrel racers. But, you know, like if, if like Trevor Brazil call Ham in town, you know, you can't imagine being a sportscaster and, and LeBron James saying, Ham hey, in town, let's, let's grab dinner. Doesn't happen. You know, but in this world, everybody's, you know, everybody's I, you know, somebody that, that you say guys. that. I, I don't know that I've ever recognized it till you said it, but within this industry, it is all mm. up. It is. All the time. And it's in the other industry, they almost got to go down to make a difference because there's so many people in football, they almost got to go be negative to separate themselves. Yeah, they got a DUI. Or, I this mean, week. anything. Yeah. Who beat up their baseball. girlfriend this week? Or? What's that? Yeah, just stuff. But in the in in our world, it's not that way. No, and we you know stuff about people. Yeah, Butch Knowles and I occasionally will be sitting at a rodeo, just the two of us, if we're not broadcasting, and we'll do an uncensored broadcast where we, <laughs> you know, where, <laughs> where they you'd have to lock the door to keep people from breaking in and and taking you off the air. But, you know, you know, so there's yeah, obviously, you know, there there's dirt on people. Things happen. But thank life. goodness. Thank goodness. Yeah, it's life. But thanks goodness. It's not an industry where, you know, let's go build him up and then tear him down. Yeah, I'd be out. That uh, that is. And I think that might be part of the allure that mm-hmm. it's pulling so many people to it. Like you said, those numbers between the ABC or CBS um um, broadcast and then what you have now it's the word people are tired of it they're tired of the negativity all the time just the whining and the complaining and you go to rodeo and it's not like that no even even criticism is not wrought with blackness right even uh you know, I, w- I, w- I think that about Joe Beaver when he does the calf roping. He can tell you what went wrong without running that person down. It just went wrong. That guy's not bad. Yeah. It just went wrong that time. And, and this is why. And go on to the next one. That guy makes a lot of good runs. This time, he picked them legs up a little high. And that calf kicked a little. And, and you just go on. It's not, hey, that guy's not doing good. And you, in bull riding, maybe the one where your analyst might be tempted to say he didn't try very hard. Yeah. But good Lord, you're, you know. You got on him. You got on him. <laughs> you got on him. And if you get off in the wrong spot, it's not going to be good. So, yeah. So maybe you, maybe you took a safe way out, but whatever. Well, there's a lot going on in bull riding. There's a, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of the last wreck in your head. <laughs> like, hey, I maybe I need to get out before what happened last time. I mean. There's a lot to it. We were, it was the NFR one year, and, and I brought up, I, I brought up Dan Mortensen was riding, and I and we were on air, and I was talking about how, you know, he doesn't buck off. I, I was, the stat was like he'd, he'd bucked off like twice all year. And Butch was like, that's really common with bronc riders. You know, you can go a whole year with, you know, just getting bucked off three or four times. And I was like, you guys are the punters and kickers of rodeo. Uh, made Butch so mad. <laughs> I wasn't welcome in the Bronx riding locker room for a while. So he's like, you got cost me so much grief. So, just making an observation. Yes. But I'm a huge Bronx riding fan, obviously, just from hanging out. But um, how many, so it, being a sportscaster like you are with all these events, all the dodging it i've done just a little bit of commenting on what's going on out there and it's so easy it would be so easy to make a mistake 
when you're trying to keep up with the action and stay in it. And I realize you're more of the quarterback and you're kind of setting it up to the to the guys that are um, your analyst. But still, there's a lot going on. And yeah. choosing your words and having regrets with what you did or didn't say. I try not to walk the plank where I walk myself into an area where I it's hard for me to get out of it, you know. Um, it happens from time to time. And I like early on I'm like I'm I'm not a very good host now because I do so much other stuff. And when I find myself having to do a TV show, I'm coming off a meeting or a Zoom call or doing this oh. or or doing that. So um, a big part of what I do is preparation and being prepared. So a lot of times it's a little harder for me to, to switch gears from the minutia of what I have going at the Cowboy Channel to go in and being a host. The NFR is a situation where, I mean, I, I've spent hours of prep before I get there, you know, and it's a matter of just updating. Uh, I go back to the 90s, and, and we had been at a rodeo, and Reba McIntyre's sister was singing, and, and I met her there. And so now you fast forward around 10 of the NFR. And in those days, they like wrapped it up. They would do some strange Christmas thing where Cotton Rosser would bring out Christmas trees and he'd make Charlie Too Tall West be an elf. And I mean, it was just some bizarre stuff <laughs> in all honesty. And we're having to fill time because they're going to come out and bring the, the world champions out. And Susie was singing. And I'd only met her one time, and and so I walked myself. I walked the plank. I said, "Here's Reba's sister, Susie." And then I could not remember. And I'm looking at Butch like, "Help me!" I thought I was kidding. He's going <laughs> like looking the other way. Help me and out, finally, man. after about 25 seconds, somebody in my ear goes, "Luxinger, uh, Susie Luxinger," <laughs> and I was just, you know, you just. But facts and details and some things down that line. I mean, if you're not careful, you kind of wind up in a situation where. You're misleading the public. What do they call that now? Fake news? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm news. guilty of fake news sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah, just never let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> well, I can't imagine. I mean, I know how long it took us to get comfortable just doing this, and this is completely editable. We can do what we want, you know, and we have a lot. <laughs> um, but like I say, how long did it take you to get comfortable being able to step in there and do those live spots and it's just another day at the office yeah well they they started the wrangler world of rodeo in in the the 90s we started in 91 and butch and i hadn't even we hadn't worked together so i'm in 91 i mean i've been out i've been six years in the business um and anchoring a newscast or a sports cast and and doing a, an event at two completely different animals you know, in terms of what you do. And so they, they weren't flying us to the events. So, but they wanted to make it look like we were there. So we green screened it. So you basically, they would get a shot of the arena and then you bring it in here and you stand in front of a green screen and you do an open and it makes it look like you were almost there. You see the green outlines of people, you know, the technology wasn't that great. And it was standard F. And then like in the early nineties, when we started that Butch and I would come in and they would book a studio where I was a sportscaster at the NBC station. And literally it would take us an hour to do an open and a close. You know, I mean, it was just like he and I were just trying to figure out, you know, and they'd be like, I'll do it again. I'll do it again. You know, whatever. We weren't, we weren't very good basically. And <laughs> so I, you're talking an hour for 
yeah, a just, minute just, worth of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for content. about two minutes worth of content. And I was laughing. I was thinking about that. And then when the NFR was here at Globe Life in 20, um, we, we were just busy. And it's round one. And they're coming out of the open. And Matt, who's my the executive producer, who's the live producer, he, he hadn't said anything about an open, you know, on camera or anything. And we're wrapping stuff up. And he's like, you know, just right at the very open of the show. He's like, get up and turn around. Because we had cameras and lights. Get up and turn around. You got to do an open. And we, Butch and I had never talked about a thing. We just got up, turned around, did an open. It was probably the best one of the 10 days. You know, I mean, it's just, I, I, I think when you get comfortable with it is, is how well you know the, you know, how well you know the sport, what your knowledge base is. And for me, as long as I'm prepared, I have no issues going into a TV. When I'm not prepared, then I'm nervous. Mm. Then I'm a little scared. Then, then, then I'm a little clammy handed, you know, for the most part, because I just don't have, I just haven't, don't have a grasp of the subject matter. And once you do that, like if you and I were doing a show, you just, just tell me what you see. You have the knowledge base. You don't, you only have to already prepare. You know, you just go tell them what you see. Mm-hmm. When you have that knowledge base, it's much easier to spit it out. Yeah. So I think that's what we ran into. We did a little bit of commentary together, and Russell's done quite a bit as far as doing a lot of the play by play for a horse show. Yeah. And so, but we were doing ours and it was just for our podcast. We're like, well, maybe we don't really need to tell them all the bad stuff that's happening here. Right. Like if that stop sucked, like, do we really need to vocalize it? Let's just like use this rain work. And let's just tell stories Yeah, and kind of let it be a little bit podcast like, and then we can kind of tell them what's happening down the fence. And it was so hard to fill that time. It was shockingly hard to fill that time without talking through what was actually happening in the arena. Yeah. Yeah. It's a way more of when, the, when the fence work or the rainy runs coming, it's, it's easy for me to see and say, but now that you say that, but just filling time, like Chris said, that's when it gets a little, that's when it gets, that's when yeah, it gets I thought hard. that was a brilliant idea yeah. when we started it. Until we got into it. I'm like, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, now you're to... telling inappropriate stories about these guys, right? Because that's all you got. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I've even done the horse sales where they've had me go to the auctions and talk. And if they'll give me, I'm not the pedigree guy. Those guys know all kinds of stuff. But if they'll let me talk about what's happening on that horse in that ring, I'm fine. And th- we just kind of got in the deal where that's what they would just pitch it to me when they're needing a bid to come around. You know, they're waiting yep. on somebody to make their mind. And I can talk about what's going on in that ring and put a positive light on it. But just to fill the airtime with the with all the pedigrees, unless it's one I wrote or something. And yeah, he's really telling on his hands right there, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Don't let yeah. him crawl out of that uh, sail pen. <laughs> but then, to, like you guys do with the NFR, I mean, that's a huge crowd, and it's live. It, there's just not a lot of room. I guess, though, when you, like you say, you get used to Butch, and you get used to what your surroundings are, but the first few had to be a little bit of a, Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, early on, we only did three rounds the first two years. We only did rounds eight, nine, and ten. You know, so it was the best gig we've ever had. Uh. We sat in the PRCA suite. We drank beer for the first seven rounds, and then 
we showed up and did eight, nine, and ten. Yeah, and it's you know, and if you if you just threw me in with somebody else at the NFR, it would be it, it you'd it'd be harder. You know, you, there'd be some stepping on them and some things like that. Yeah, Butch knows when I'm going to stop and and he starts and vice versa. You know, and and um, it's it's one of those deals where we just have such a a rapport. You know that it's it's it makes it so so easy. Mm-hmm. And when you get an event like that, your adrenaline's going. You know, it's it's fun. So, um, yeah, you're just you're just happy to be there. Hey, Chris, you know I got to tell you one thing. I love when I'm riding these horses is my Martin saddle. I love the fact that they make a saddle. You can get a roping horn in. You can cowboy out of it. It still sits you where you want to sit. The same as you want to sit when you're showing, when you're cutting. I love the all-around ability of the seat that they've put in those saddles. I've had a ton of interaction with Brian Peterson over there at the factory. That guy goes from the, they built their own trees right there in the factory. You can go in there, take a tour. They will show you a square piece of wood and they take (laughs) that and turn it all the way into a beautiful saddle. And when you do go through there, what is staggering is how much handwork is in it. You think that there's some machine that stamps all them flowers out? Mm-mm. That, those are all hand carved. No kidding. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. I know. I've been, I've, I've kind of been around them, shoot, since I worked at Carroll's and seen them developing these saddles. And they have put the work into them. And I've got a couple there at the house. And shoot, we've got one that oh, they carved our brand into there on the skirts there and my wife shows in it quite a bit and i've got another one that i won at southwest pre-fraternity and i love that saddle i mean it yeah it, you know. go online and check out lance johnson saddle he got for winning the pre-fraternity oh, that thing national is pretty. It was beautiful. so pretty they can do whatever horn you want they have a new system where they block those stirrups a little bit especially for your non-pros and well for me because i'm terrible about cowboying my whole life i'm wanting to get i get my feet behind my shoulders constantly that's just the way i was the seat helped me immensely but this block is another little help when you relax your legs your feet hang right in front of your shoulders where they're supposed to be instead of when you relax too much they go behind you i just i love it i can't say enough about them can't say enough about the effort Brian has put into it. I remember out in California, he showed up out there and we're working on how to build a better saddle. And he just stops by, didn't really know him much. He stops in there and just taking it over. I, we have sca- saddles scattered over my whole, every saddle we could find, we got and put on every horse I had. And we went over the trees, the fit, the seat. I mean, just over and over and over. And they built a beautiful saddle that... I love to ride in all day, every day. And you can always find Brian at the uh, Southwest Rain Cow Horse shows. He'll be in there mixing it up with us. And so this yep. guy, he's out there showing. A lot of guys making saddles. That's hey, all they sit in the saddle shop. But. won the world on a little top sale main rain, no rainmaker. No kidding. How awesome yeah, is that? Congratulations, world. Brian Peterson. Senior, yeah, it was cool. So he's in it all the way. That's awesome. So no matter what event you guys are doing, whether it's a cutting, barrel racing, raining, roping, Steer Dobbin. Steer Dobbin, my favorite cow horse. There's a Martin saddle for you. And you can go talk to them or Facebook them on. Whatever that technology is, it's fine. It's on the Martin Saddlery Facebook page. You can always send them a message right there. Or you can check them out at www.martinsaddlery.com. We did a horseman's reunion I did one time, and I 
I met a guy on the microphone, Kelly Barker. They put him on the mic while I'm in, uh, I'm um, talking, and they just give him a mic, and we start talking, do the whole week together. Well, it kind of went well, and so they hired us to do the rodeo at Pass Robles Fair. And uh, we didn't really know what we are getting into. They said, you know, it's just a little rodeo at Pass Robles Fair. Well, it's not a little rodeo. That thing is full <laughs> jam-packed and they had a list of um uh military people that were going to march in and hold a flag while a guy jumped out of an airplane and parachuted down into the arena and this list is I, it's 50 60 people long yeah and we are so nervous about messing a name up on the military guys more than anything and it's that huge crowd. They stick you on that stage. You know that uh, stage that was out there in the warm out where we the practice bin. I mean, you're just out there on a table by yourself <laughs> <laughs> with all them people, and you know any mistake. I guess they don't hear as much as you think, but we were so worried about it. It was unbelievable. Then they start the rodeo, and not talking on top of each other was was really a huge deal learning to find because it's not just us there's also a rodeo announcer and getting all them people and not getting on top because we're on the speaker that goes to the crowd so you can't just jump in there anytime but dear lord what a nail-biting sounds horrific <laughs> what the respect i yeah. gained was yeah. unbelievable I have the utmost respect for rodeo announcers, but they they have they have the gift of gab, obviously. And you, you got Justin McKee and Steve Kenyon who work here, and I'll throw Tom McClary in there. I could take all three of them to our studio over there, put them in separate corners, and say, "You just start talking and keep talking until I come back." I could come back twenty four hours later, and they still wouldn't be done with what they. You know, <laughs> I mean, you listen to those rodeo. Announcers. I can't imagine saying, "Hey, welcome to the Reno Rodeo," and doing the whole. Thing. Freaking, there's no way that's not that's and people ask me i was like i'm not a rodeo announcer i do television well when can, you guys do the throwback to the studio off the rodeos yeah and i've seen and justin mckee's the one i've seen probably do it the most you're going from live action and just pitching it to him in that room and he's got to be current with what's going on there and he's here and filling that gap and then be able to end and pitch back i was like holy mackerel that's unbelievable it's easier than you think <laughs> way easier than you think but yeah way easier well i would hope so <laughs> <laughs> we have ways to cheat so we're cheaters in a lot of ways yeah well that's what russell and i talked about we've both been in here and both of us talk to each other afterwards after doing the interview in the studio like that was the most awkward feeling situation in the world like i know steve whole... kenny is having no trouble no yeah <laughs> steve kenny he's just there with his chest hair poked out and just <laughs> rocking it and he's like put your belt buckle on that x and i'm like i don't know what to do with my hands and there's all these cameras and angles and side eye and picking up monitors and i'm like these guys have got they're telling them what to say. What in the world is happening? It was, it was so horrible. I was like, "We, Russell, we got to go back so we can at least just redeem ourselves a little. <laughs> Son of a gun. That was rank. Kenyon makes it easy for you. 
Yeah. He does lead you along. I don't have any chest hair. Yeah. I need a chest hair piece. <laughs> I, when I when I anchor with him, I feel like I need to have like a piece of a toupee that I just take right there. There you go. Yeah. So then people will be asking me if the carpet matches the drapes or whatever. <laughs> so I have to be careful with it. But yeah. Uh, what was your what's been your biggest mess up on TV who um, I don't think I have anything major um, that I can think of I um, I mean I've had a lot of moments that were just awkward um, I I had a chance to, to do the because I love golf to do the world long drive championship um, on ESPN, so I must not have done a good job because <laughs> they didn't I ask did it, you. Back. I did it once, and that's all I've done that. So, um, but I and I really enjoyed it. So it's kind of bummed, but you know, I mean, it, it's I, I have moments every day. <laughs> if I'm on the air, I, you know, I have moments where I, I'm not too I'm not too smooth. But the worst here was um, I. It was last summer, and I was on the air all day. And they didn't change the batteries in my IFB. So I'm just like, I'm just like cruising along and, and I didn't realize I, they couldn't communicate with me anymore. So I'm just in all kinds of a, I look like an idiot. You know what I mean? I look like an idiot. So um, that's probably my most embarrassing moment here. You just like, man, I just hope that, just let that moment pass. Just let then, it pass. Yeah. But you know, and TV's tough. You're selling yourself. You know, you're not selling something else. So you, as a horse trainer, you're kind of in that same situation where it's personal, you know, it's a personal business. And, you know, when you don't, you don't get renewed or you get fired or somebody doesn't like you, you know, it's personal. You just have to learn to let that go. Nah, whatever. Yeah. You I gotta know. Learn to and I know, go. you know, I, I, what social, I don't pay much attention to social media. Some people like you, some people hate you. You know, I, I'm, I can't appeal to everybody, you know, so I, if you don't like me, I'm sorry, but. It's just not much I can do about it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like you either. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just kind of how it is. But. I listened to an interview with Barry Corbin, and he was talking about, well, it's not the personal, you know? I mean, he's like, it was an audition. It was me, and you didn't like me. It doesn't get any more personal than that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you mean it's not a personal? Not that I'm at that level, but I... They did a story with Lou Holtz, and I have you guys ever heard Lou Holtz speak? Mm -hmm. He's an amazing public speaker. Probably could have made it 10 times as much speaking as he did coaching football. But HBO did a story on him on Real Sports, trying to make him look bad, like you're a coach that if you know, he likes you as a player as long as you can help him, and when he doesn't, he throws you to the side. You know, that was the whole gist of the story, speaking of doing negative things. And Lou Holtz said, you know what, at the end of your career, if you take everything good written about you and you put it in a stack, Take everything bad written about you, you put it in a stack. If those stacks are pretty even, you're probably a pretty good coach. <laughs> and I was like, that's probably a pretty good way to say that. That's probably pretty good. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, I, and I even, in the judging, I think about it just like that. People think when you're judging, they, they can pick out of seven days of judging, they can pick two or three runs where you screwed up. And they're like, harping on harping on and my answer is every set i feel like i made a mistake every set i feel like there's a run i should have went up or down on every 10 horses and you have to learn to just 
let that go and judge the next set. You got to let it go. If you let it eat on you, then you won't. Yeah, and they only noticed three out of the whole week. So. Yeah, yeah. So that ain't bad. <laughs> well, in my extensive horse judging career, which consists only of one evening of Mustang magic, I was like, "This, this can't be hard." I'm like, "Good lord!" I look like buckwheat after each one. No idea how to market or place it or where to put it. Like, what do I the, do? With who this? does this on purpose? <laughs> who in the world says, "Oh yeah, I'll do that." And you think about the reigning futurity, we got 30 head in there. It's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. It's just like, no way. That's, that's well, the, so The finals hard. are the easy part, Jeff. It's the, it's the 300, the 300 for before. Four days yeah. And staying steady for four oh. days of it. And all you're doing is, was that circle a zero, a plus half? No one, yeah, it, because that. judging is so, it's a plus half or a minus half or a zero. That's where judging is. Yep. But it's quarters. Do I give it a plus half or a zero? So it's that quarter. And which way do you go with it? Every single maneuver all day long, over and over and over till you just get to a point where you can make it that decision and live with it, which is what I would think about the the announcing. You have to live with your doubts while you're talking, while the thing's going on live and go on to the next one. You, maybe you messed up a little bit right there, but you got to go on. You can't stop, or in my judging, they I don't do bring you back great, like the golf deal. Exactly. <laughs> in my judging, I did what all great judges do. I turned to the scribe and said, "What do you do?" <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm with you. Bam. Let's do that. Okay. You're right. Me into it. That's what I thought too. <laughs> exactly. So, a, if we go back to the freelancing, what about? that freelancing of the instability of that job. Like, I feel like there's a lot of parallels to that, to the horse training deal and the musician deal and everything else to where you're, I mean, or maybe going I'm from wrong. job yeah. to job. You need something steady, you know? And like in those days I, I did rodeo. I did all the ESPN rodeo. So I was doing however many rodeos they were doing a year in the NFR. Um, it, one that was year, early in your freelance career. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and I also did the 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 road to the uh, Breeders' Cup, so I did thoroughbred racing on ESPN in the fall, and I did rodeo year round, and then just picked up other stuff. And then I started hosting a couple of studio shows for for Wintercom too. So I had more, almost more than I could handle, you know. And then you kind of things happen and management changes, and like one year, um, I, they they hired a new EP at Wintercom. And they brought in a guy that was a, a big time director, and he just basically wanted to put all of his, all of his buddies back to work, you know. And so, Paul Page was like an IndyCar announcer, and he he canned me off of Extreme Bulls and hired Paul Page to be the the Extreme Bulls announcer. And um, so I was like, okay. And that's when, at that point in time, I, I that year I went and did ex, uh, championship bull riding with Tough. So I just moved over and voice. Tufts, and then that led to me getting that contract. So it was a negative that I turned into a positive, you know. And um, but you know, it's yeah, it's kind of like hey, I like you now, I don't like you now, and some you know sometimes they call you back and sometimes they don't. But and I, the reason why I want to get a production company going is I'm not Jim Nance, you know. Uh, I there's going to be a point in time where you know I'm I'm not going to host anymore, age or whatever. Um, and I enjoy hosting. If I never hosted another TV show, it's not the end of the world for me. 
Um, so I wanted something else that I could do. And it's kind of like an actor becoming a director, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in producing great television that doesn't necessarily involve me in front of the camera. Makes sense. And it's a longer yeah. life. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody cares that my hair's gray. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Except my wife. So but at least you have some. I do. You can be yeah, like a little me. bit. <laughs> <laughs> so what would your advice be to those kids that are out here and they're seeing legendary guys like yourself that we've all grown up watching and like think that that's an out of reach career path. I mean, what do you tell them to how to pursue that? If that's something that interests them. What the cowboy channel has created is, you know, before, if you went to college saying, Hey, I want to, I want to do Western sports on television. There was no outlet there really, you know, um, now you can literally go to college and say, hey, that's my, I want to work for the Cowboy Channel. Now I want to be a sideline reporter for the Cowboy Channel. You know, I want to go, I want to host Western Sports Roundup. I mean, it's actually a career path now that you can actually aspire to. And there's just like, there are sportscasters all over the country going, I want to do Sports Center. Nothing sounds more boring to me than Sports Center. Right. And I used to think that was the greatest thing in the world. Why do I want to go talk about something that's already happened? I would rather be on the front row and, and be a part part of it while it happens. But now you have, but you, we have our own Western ESPN that, that kids can aspire to and things down that line. I got bombarded all the time by females that wanted to be on the NFR. You know, there's one, it, it's a one person job for forever, you know, and I'm not going to replace that person, you know, at this point in time. Now there's there's ways to do a whole lot more than that, you know. Uh, which I think is great for the industry. What Patrick, you know, I, I'm embarrassed that I was a little slow to to grasp what his concept was. Uh, Patrick and I had low to no history whatsoever when I arrived here in January of 20. Um, and I was skeptical of the PRCA to take it off of the CBS and move it to the Cowboy Channel. Um, unproven, uh, only in a little more than 30 million homes. Um, you know, and then I finally realized, hey, He's put together the Cowboy ESPN here, you know, and how fortunate am I to be a, to be a part of it that he let me in, uh, you know, on, on ground level, you know, and it was a it was a deal that was really good for me because um, my 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 interest and my experience so much more than pro rodeo is really anything with the Cowboy hat. I've I've done it on television, you know, and I, I see the, the possibilities that that they have here. Um, but now these if you're you know if if you like television and you like Western sports, there's a there's something you can aspire to now that was probably never there before. Do you see that? Where do you see that going in the future? Do you see that being stationary here with one kind of station, two, RFD and Cowboy Channel? You see that expanding farther? Well, I think you know, you, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of other networks, Ride TV, you know, but the the you have to have something to get you off the ground. You know, and when you look at when you look at the Cowboy Channel, they have the National Finals Rodeo. And we can put that National Finals Rodeo on Nickelodeon, and the audience will find it. You know, and you have Pro Rodeo, and, and that's a backbone for the Cowboy Channel. And I think if you, if you whether it's a great American country or, or inspiration or whatever, um, you can come up with some Western programming, but you just aren't going to get the eyeballs like, like he has here. You have to have the air that gets you, gets you off the ground. And that's, that's really pro rodeo. 
No, for sure. Yeah, I can see that. But you guys haven't even... There's so many more pieces that there's so much room for growth. Yeah. It's just... You haven't even scratched the surface. I mean, you guys could grow for... Grow and grow and grow forever. Yeah. And, and so many... You know, I have a laundry list of programming that I'd love to do here. You know, and, and hopefully we'll get a chance to get some of that from from music to 30 for 30 type stuff to, you know, to, to other events. So, um, yeah, we're, we've really just skimmed the surface. Uh, he has a big appetite for live rodeo, which, you know, we, we do a lot of, but I think mm-hmm. you got to get some other stuff in there too. So because there's 24 hours in a day, there's so much room for so much live, uh, so many live events on your guys' platform. I mean, where so many, you go try to watch television, there's so many people that feel left out now because you can't even, the, the life they're, they're presenting on TV is not something I can even get into. But there are so many pieces of the Western lifestyle that could be represented on your guys' platform that, you're just getting started on and it's so fun to see the live stuff and the real people the people like i want to watch and agree with their lifestyle that it's refreshing from what's out there it's almost like hollywood's become this weird cult of odd just trashy satanic stuff it's just getting worse it's getting worse and so it makes it to where you're a safe spot to go to. And we Damn do, sure for your kids. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, it, Megan Browning, who's kind of my right hand here, um, she gets mad because I come in and I sit in her office, shove the Cowboy Channel on, it'll be the Lone Ranger. So the closed captions are on, so I'm reading the lines and the different voices <laughs> of the characters. But, uh, you know, it, that stuff's just, I was like, here's what's going to happen. That guy's a bad guy. And in the end, the Lone Ranger and Tonto are going to figure out he's a bad guy. They're going to catch him. You know, it's the same thing every time. And I loved all that stuff as a kid, you know, and, and Patrick loves it too. Um, but, you know, it'd be nice to get to the point where we don't air that so much in the mornings that we have other things. And you're right. there. It's a big programming day, you know, and from chuck wagons to rain cow horse to, you know, to rodeo to whatever. You know, there's there's so many opportunities here, and yeah, and uh, we just got to find our way to keep expanding and keep growing and keep getting more and more of that on there and keep presenting it. Yep. Uh, at one time, my head said I was arguing with somebody in our industry about uh, putting a cow horse on TV. He says, uh, "You know, people won't get it." I says, "Come on, they'll get it. It's how you present it." He said, no, I don't know. It's going to be boring. I says, oh, really? Golf and poker. Don't tell me we can't present it right. They made poker good to watch. So it's all on how you present it. I mean, look at how poker blew the doors off. Watching people play. You go to someone and say, hey, I got an idea. We're going to watch people play cards, and it's going to be huge. But it's how they present it. They present the whole cards. They, they, they inform people enough that they could watch it and get into the drama of holding, bluffing, 
raising, you know, all the stuff. Let me tell you a poker story. Yeah. All right. So I've done poker. I did six poker shows for CBS Sports. And I did it with this group that did everything you see, all the poker you see on television except the World Series of Poker. And the guy behind it was a little man named Henry Ornstein. And, and he is a Holocaust survivor. And he invented Transformers. But he's a major poker player. And so the, his executive producer, uh, Maury Escondani, super nice guy. And Henry came to him and said, I have this idea on what I want to do with poker. He goes, what's that? He goes, I want to create pocket cameras where you can see what the players are holding. And Maury's like, that's a terrible idea. No great poker player is going to let you look behind the curtain. And Henry's like, I think they will. And that's what started the revolution. See? I've had dinner with him a couple of there times. There it is. Nicest little man. Loves the cowboy lifestyle. Had like pearl snap shirts on. And uh, I'll, I don't know if I'm supposed to tell the story or not. But anyway, they, they signed this deal with CBS Sports to do the CBS, these six shows on there. And they came to CBS, and they reached the point where they're about to sign the contract. And they're like, well, we, we need some kind of a financial statement on somebody. And so they said, well, no problem. Henry gave him one bank account that he had, just one liquid bank account, and it had $70 million in it. CBS said, yeah, we're probably good with that. Okay, that'll probably <laughs> work. We can do that. Yeah, we think that'll work. And, uh, yeah, he's the one, he's the guy that revolutionized, but he invented a bunch of toys and, and just a sharp little man. And I don't know if he's still alive or not. I need to look and see, but yeah, his, his whole idea of putting a camera where you can see the, yes. what the players are holding that made that the whole game poker. And unfortunately for me, um, Ali Najad is a guy that's one of the analysts for NBC. I love Ali. And I've done a couple TV shows with him too. And it was golf. It was golf poker that I did with him for CBS. But I got Gabe Kaplan, and welcome back, Cotter, who's a big poker player. And we, you talk about not jiving with your analyst. We could not have been more different. Uh, I, I was not a welcome back Cotter guy. I didn't get a sense of humor. He'd make a joke, and I'd be like, so it was, it was not the best of working relationships. Yeah, it wasn't the strongest television I've done. But I love poker, and I love to play poker. But sorry, that's my poker story. Yeah. See, I knew that when they presented that, there had to be like, hey, I, yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. But the letting, letting you know what everyone's got, I mean, you got to stay there and watch the flop. And then you got to watch the next card, the river, and you go watch the end of it. You, there's no way not, you have to see the ending. They yeah. made it intense. They made watching cards intense. So, and I think... I think they've kind of ruined the World Series of Poker when they wanted to go live. Because what you realize when you started watching the World Series of Poker live is that when you watch the, the old shows the way they did them, you're, you're taking 500 hands and reducing them to 40. Right, you know? fast. And it, you think that, wow, you sit down and watch poker, it goes really, no, 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 it doesn't. Yeah, and I've got friends that work in, on the TV side of it, and they hate it because it's like, you might, it might be an 18-hour day. Before they reach a point where they go, yeah, we can stop now. Yeah. It's not a fast pace. It's not no. going down the fence. It's not going down the fence. It, it, it is a very slow affair. And once you took it live, I stopped watching it. Yeah. I love Norm, whatever. Norm Chad. He's yeah. so funny. Yeah. He made the World Series of Poker for me. Yeah. Because I really enjoyed listening to him. But once they changed that whole dynamic up, I haven't watched it since. Yeah. 
So it's all in the presentation, just yeah. right there. Yeah. Just how you put it. And same with everything. Rodeo, raining, cutting, cow horse, all of it. You can present it to where it keeps you on the edge of your seat yeah. or to where you're just waiting. And you, the NFR, it, in my opinion, is way too fast. You know, it's breakneck speed. But then I watched, you know, you watch a, a rodeo on the Cowboy Channel on a Sunday afternoon and the perf takes four and a half hours. Way too slow. Yeah. There's a happy medium in there somewhere. Yes, somewhere. Yeah. That's DVR is my best friend. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, unfortunately, when I'm standing there doing ends out of the commercials, DVR's not helping me. <laughs> <laughs> DVR's not helping me when I'm standing over there. I, not this year, but the, the year before, everybody was gone on July 4th. So I had to do the whole July 4th weekend by myself. I was in the studio like 12 and 14 hours. I saw the Easter Bunny one evening in there. He's become somewhat delirious. And I was like, I don't care who wins. Just get this rodeo over with. So, Cowboy so Christmas, my ass. Exactly. Yeah. I just want to go home. Right now, I just want to go home. But. So what were some of the coolest things you remember doing on as far as the America's horse? Oh, man. I, you know, I met some amazing people. I, I'm a huge AQHA fan. Um, Carl Stressman, who was, who I, I did the TV for Carl when he was at the PRCA, is now the executive vice president. He and I, we talked a lot before he took that job. I, I started in 88, and I did cutting and reining. And by 1990, I, was, I became the host. So I was doing everything. I went all over the world for them. Um, I had so much fun. I, I, I love the horse, so that makes it really easy. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not propaganda for me. Um, I can, I can sing the praises of the American Quarter Horse all day long, but the American Quarter Horse, I'm a huge fan. So many great people from celebrities, like, you know, from I, I spent a day with Morgan Freeman, who after he did, uh, uh, is it Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood? Yes. He became a huge horse fan, and and I, I met him down there at his place south of Memphis. Um, to just the individual people that you meet, you know that you know. You know how it is, and, and I don't have to deal with owners and their egos. But I, you know, everybody in the industry, I just thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I loved every bit of it. Um, I'm so many interesting people. Um, you know, Henry Brown, who was a roper, and he, he had a car dealership there in Mesa, Arizona. You know, I, I grew up working in my dad's. My dad had a farm and ranch store, feed store, furniture, and and the attitude was the customer's always right. You know, and Henry Brown had a dealership in Chevy dealership in Mesa, Arizona. And the reason I did the story with them is, is if you went to that dealership, it's an, it's just like a small town dealership. There was no showroom. The showroom was just now people's offices there. And, and the parking lot was basically people park. It was the number one Chevy store in the world for two consecutive years because he empowered everybody. The customer is always right. He said, there's none of this. Let me take it to my manager. If that salesman made that deal, that's a deal. Mm. If the receptionist said, we'll change those rims out for other ones, that's what they did. You know, and, and he was a big roper and stuff. But but I, I just the fact that, you know, that, that business mentality. Um, yeah, they just, just meet so many interesting people. Orrin Mixer, just, you know, I just, I don't know if you ever met, he was the, the art, the painter. Yeah. Uh, the, the Mixer horse. Yeah, oh he's fantastic. Gosh. I called him to do a story with him, and it took me 30 minutes to convince him to do it. And I, I said, how about next Thursday? And he goes, oh, Jeff, I don't live that way. I don't have a calendar. I don't even own a watch. You know? <laughs> He's like, that's for business people. 
you know, you just met so many great people, so many great horses. Oh my gosh. You know, just the horses. I went to, I, I think I did the first eight best Ramuda winners. Uh, the first one was Haythorn Landing Cattle in Ogallala, Nebraska. I'm like, we sent me to Ogallala, Nebraska. It cannot be a pretty ranch. Absolutely drop dead gorgeous. My favorite ranch in America. Uh, Craig and Jody Haythorn, they still use the teams to put up their hay and feed. And, and there's nothing motorized when they're doing the branding in the summer. And he keeps, you know, he keeps the remuda, you know, just in a little, uh, they just string him around the, you know, the rope around the pen. Then, and that next morning he gets up and goes in there, ropes a horse and hands it to a, you know, whatever ranch he wants to ride him that day. It's like stepping back in time. Mm. You know, it's a simpler life. Yeah. But I can go on about AQHA all day. It's incredible that something so advanced takes you so far back. Yeah. You know, television takes you all the way to the Hawthorne Ranch where there's so no motorized vehicles. Man, I like that. And I like their horses too. I was a big fan. So Craig never offered to let me drive one, <laughs> take one home. And I, but I was tempted when they started that best Ramuda sale. I was like, I'm going to go down there and just buy me one of those, one of those Haythorne Ranch. Just get one. Geldings. <laughs> <laughs> can't stop me still in the backyard there in Tulsa <laughs> yeah, my, get my blue heel or something chase around the backyard my brother Matt Cook he worked that's where he got his start was there at Haythorns and he just hit a he just uh, hit the million dollar mark out there yep. at our show run, well, at the run for the million oh at yep. the million yep. yep yep that's right so and but he's uh, he was there at Haythorns has big ties to Haythorn Ranch so yeah pretty cool beautiful stuff up there. there too yep yeah I did. I did the sixes, been to King Ranch, Pitchfork, you know, just kind of went all over. It's just those great ranches are spectacular. Sure. Who would think that you're going to start a career in sports casting on television and get to see all the biggest ranches, yeah, in the world? Yeah, and just be able to just saddle up and ride with them, and yeah, yeah, just yeah. It's what a window. I, I realize though, when you go out to like the the sixes. You realize why they have 400,000 acres, because if you want to run 40 head of cattle, <laughs> you know, 400,000 acres. You know, and I, I grew up in southeastern Oklahoma where, good Lord, you, you know, the grass is belly deep there. Yeah. You know, it's a completely different environment. And it gets cold out there, too. We, we shot one day, I think it was, it was at the Sixes, and I was telling my camera guys, I'm not getting out of the truck. It's like May. It's like April or May. And I'm like, it's as cold as I've ever been. That wind just cuts you in half. Uh, you got to be damn tough to ranch out there. That wind is another. Uh, I remember I was raised in California, and they would talk about wind chill. I'm like, whatever. It is what it is. That wind don't matter. I moved to Oklahoma. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. That wind, it, it that matters. wind chill factor is for real. Yeah, <laughs> the the real pain feel. is real. Pay attention <laughs> to that real feel today. Yes. Yeah. Gee, Merry Christmas. Oh. Like, I don't think they have this marked up enough. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of riding, how much riding you end up getting to do? Uh, not as much as I'd like to. You know, not as, I, I do the ride in California. I think the big ride's like 26 miles a day. Uh, you know, I, I never say no when I get a chance to, to climb on, but I ride more airplanes, I guess, than anything else, you know, for the most part. And uh, my my kids blame me to this day for never getting them a horse. My daughter's. <laughs> I was like, you know, in those days, I was going 40 weekends a year, you know, and, and there's no, it's not like a dog, you know, you, yeah. you, have, you have a nice horse. It's not like a dog. You don't, 
show up about every four or five months and try to ride it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a everyday deal. And I think horses are so great for girls. I had three daughters, so uh, I, I made them play sports to kind of offset that. But they're all mad. And, and my wife went to Dude Ranch camp when she was a kid, so she thinks she can barrel race now. And I'm like, that really worked that way. I'm going to up your insurance if you're going to decide to barrel race. So at least if I'm going to be alone, I've got a lot of money. So, but um, yeah, I, that's probably I'm cussed a lot at home for never really giving them a chance to to get horses and and our ranch is you know the ranch is two and a half hours away and i where, where's that at Tallahina. oh that's yeah a, from you know, okay yeah. well i lived in tulsa sure. still do still do and uh i knew it wasn't going to be a regular trip for them so so this every, is just a town home you just keep down here down here yeah gotcha that everybody keeps wanting to buy evidently <laughs> as realtors so yeah i'll take six hundred fifty thousand for it <laughs> <laughs> a million your dad a million. said my dad wants a million so <laughs> Both of those are extremely high. The broker is <laughs> way. Nobody's, nobody's lining up to buy it. At broker that, so. fears are yeah. terrible <laughs> down here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the way this real estate's moving down here, be careful what you say. Somebody, yeah, no, somebody no will kidding. reach up and snag it. Yeah. Somebody will reach up and snag it. The, uh, if you got a call, you can take it. No, you're asking me, like, what's been so great? Like, that's a text from Jim Pickens, you know, who's, you know, Jim? Great guy. He, he on Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, he's oh. the, the older doctor on Grey's sure. Anatomy. Just he has a big roping there in California. The people you meet in this, you know, in this Western world is just fantastic. I think it's he used crazy. to come. He used to come to Snafflebit, I think. Yeah, he probably yeah he comes to NFR every year. Great guy, celebrates the Western life. Working on some stuff with, um, I think, with Amazon. You know, on on some uh, uh, Western project based out of Oklahoma, along with Morgan Freeman. So he's a he's a great one of my favorite people too. Yeah. They say when the economies get like this, blue jeans and Western music skyrocket. So the Western lifestyle, basically, and it lo- and it feels like that's what's happening. You know, yeah. after the COVID stuff and all that, it just feels like the rural lifestyle is exploding. And if you can listen to Nashville country, God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> My pain tolerance isn't that high. Cody Johnson, I'll go with Cody, and then. Uh, I gotta have the red dirt Texas guys. I'm so. all I'm all over red. I dirt. can't take listening to guys singing about tractors when I know damn good and well they couldn't start it, start it, let yeah. alone drive it. So which side do you get for sing- in this? Thing? Thanks for singing about it. <laughs> I was so bummed at the run for the million. Times Ranch brought in uh, Shane Smith and the Saints early in the week, and I didn't realize what night it was, and we were there, and I missed it. Right, so the next, the next morning I wake up and like I've got friends going, "Hey, who's coming to the Shane Smith and the Saints concert?" last night that i missed and i'm super bummed and so that sucked but then they did have a they had core blunt in there one night core blunt and jeremy mccomb and angie k they had a little songwriter swap the night after the cow horse challenge and it was fantastic and really? i didn't go wow. missed out on a heck of a show heck of a show that's where uh it's where all the where all the all the winners from the cow horse challenge were hanging out that night anyway so if you uh missed it you missed out so uh, the judge was hanging out at uh, somewhere else and, and I, where was the commentator hanging out uh he was i was, at, I was at michael's with michael's russell was picking up my tab there i had no nice. idea i would have ordered so much bigger food <laughs> I so did it, it. it gives you no heads up i just no. had like a light salad <laughs> 
I'd yeah. say there's no such thing as lights out in my I would have been like tomahawk. You know, it. <laughs> you, you'd been stunned if he'd have said, Hey, I'm buying snow crab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That restaurant's phenomenal. Oh, that Man. place. That place is insane. Russell's a high roller. He goes there a lot. I've been there one time. I love that place. I just think about it all year. And then we go there. And then during our show, we don't even get to go. I don't, I don't get to do anything in Las Vegas when I'm there except ride horses. It sounds well, like me at NFR. Yeah. Everybody has fun but me. Yeah. Yeah. Got a job to do. But it's, I'm going back to Michael's. It's a tougher. That's the first time I'd eaten at Michael's since it was at Barbary Coast. Really? Yeah, and I've I've been there a bunch at the Groundy Hotel and Casino, and I never think to go in there. So I'm going back. That place. Let me know when you're going to be there, though. So I'm going to go when you go. <laughs> <laughs> how much uh, How much schooling did you have to do on your uh, analyst out there during the run for the million? You know what? That's like herding cats. <laughs> That's like herding cats right there. So two bobs, two yeah, and, and so originally it was like. They're like, hey, just it's going to be you and Al Dunning and Bobby Lewis, and then they said, no, it's just going to be you and Bob Avila. And they go, no, it's going to be you and and Bob Avila and Bobby Lewis and Al Dunning, and I love Al. And so it was like, seriously, it it, it was you talk about casual television. <laughs> so so we sit down and and I'm I'm not really in charge, so I don't want to step on anybody's toes. But Bob Avila looks like he's you know he's got a. He's got an IFP stuck in this ear and it's hanging down and it's not, it's not TV that I would do. And Al Dunning's next to me and Bobby Lewis on my right. We finished the first, take the first commercial break. Al Dunning just gets up and takes off. We come back, we come, we come back and they put us on camera and it's like, well, Al Dunning has stepped out for a minute. And then we're talking and he just comes in. I was like, ladies and gentlemen, Al Dunning, you know? And I, so they, they were just so funny. They were all over the place. And Bobby Lewis is quiet. So I kept trying to work him in and keep him and stuff. And we, it was slated to be about three and a half hours. I think that's right. Yeah, about three and a half hours. And we went five and a half, almost six, I think. And so by the time I got to that point, Al Dunning and Bob Avila are like two toddlers. I mean, they are, they, they are misbehaving and they are done with it. And we're in the winter interview and they're like taking everything off. It's like taking everything off. And they come back to us on camera. I go, well, my analysts have kind of quit on me. And so Bob Al, or, uh, Al Dunning, Al Dunning, it's like, the, you, it's the kind of microphone where you just kind of wear it. It goes around your ears. And it's just tiny. So he's just picked it up and he's holding it like this. And I was like, Al, do you have anything to say? And he's like, no. <laughs> well, all right. Thanks for watching. You know, and, and we're done. Yeah, they, they were, it was like herding cats with those guys. Felt like Bob Euchre. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So, but it, it was fun. It, it lasted a while. I don't know if Taylor liked it or not, Taylor Sheridan, because I haven't heard from him since. <laughs> Might be like the I may golf have been fired deal. again. I mean, I may have been like fired the again. Golf deal. I may have been fired again. So I, I don't know. So it won't be the last time. <laughs> hey, you got to tell Russell the story about the Adriano. Your Adriano, oh, Adriano Marais story. Yeah. Yeah, that was, and I got to pull that out. I, I, I'm, I'm doing a video for a deal this fall, and I'm going to go back. I, to be honest with you, it's kind of like Nixon's Watergate tapes. I've tried to keep it as hidden and as buried as far as I as I possibly can. But we had we were in Tucson, and uh, it's in the '90s, and and this this Brazilian guy wins, kid wins. Nobody's ever heard him before. 
Adriano Marais, and um, who goes on obviously PBR superstar, rides all ten bulls at the NFR, and uh, it's his first win in the U.S. And so he doesn't. He speaks Portuguese. Doesn't really speak English. And Charlie Sampson goes, "Hey, I I discovered this guy. I did a bull riding school down in Brazil, and I can, I can, uh, I can translate." I'm like, "Whoa, okay." All righty then. I said, well, have him, talk, have him talk about his first big win in the U.S. And so Charlie turns to me and goes, how does it feel to win in the U.S.? And obviously Adrian's just going, looking at it. I don't understand what he says. And where I caught grief was I let Charlie ask another question. I didn't really want to insult Charlie and go, go sit down. Go sit down. I let him ask another one. And that's why I caught so much grief over it. But Charlie was just trying to help. I listened so, to this the other day, and I have fallen off my horse. Yeah, and and thank goodness Adriano's wife came over, and she spoke enough English that she could translate. But Charlie was a world champion bull rider. He is not a world champion translator. It reminded me of Saturday Night Live with Garrett Morris. And you know, now for the hard of hearing... We bring in Garrett Morris in the news tonight. In the news tonight! <laughs> it's very similar to that. So maybe Charlie was just a Saturday Night Live fan. I don't know. I don't know. So. But I, I caught grief for it, and so did Charlie. So. <laughs> Uh, the greatest. I, who knew that regardless of how slow you say it they still don't still understand it. get it right now they still don't understand uh, I had a vet that thought he could speak Spanish by speaking louder slower and worse English <laughs> that does not help That's, that is irrelevant you're butchering the English language it, it does not translate to Spanish what not in any way, shape, or form. No. 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 <laughs> mm. My goodness. Oh. <laughs> what do you see about... Uh, there's been a handful of rodeo contestants that have made transitions over to horse trainers. And I don't know if you know any of these guys personally or not. I mean, Zane. like the Clay, the Clay Churneys, the Zane Davises, Brendan Clark, Casey Branquino to name a few, yeah. that have, you know, recognized that the longevity in the rodeo world is not going to be there. And they come over to the horse training world. And I don't know if you have any kind of opinion about Luke that Brown. or not. I mean, there's Jake Telford. It's a bunch of yeah. them. Well, you know, a lot of those guys have those skills. Zane Davis, you know, I, I've known Sean for forever, obviously his dad. And, and when you look at Zane and Sean... Um, I think Zane was riding some bareback horses early on, and then uh, you could, it wasn't his thing, you know. But when you look at his dad, he's such a an attention to detail, being the general manager of the NFR for you know thirty plus years. Um, you know, Sean's one of those guys that trains trains thoroughbred horses now, race horses, you know, and you see that attention to detail. So I'm not surprised that Zane's had the success that he's had in the cow horse world because you kind of grow up in that environment, you know, as my dad says, you plant corn, you get corn. So, you know, you can kind of see that, that that's a pretty natural transition to me. And, and obviously Sean from world champion saddle bronc rider to trains. He had, he had a horse that had, had made the breeders cup, but came up injured and didn't run. So trains thoroughbreds at a very high level. So I can see where 
you can kind of leave that kind of an impression on Zane. And I'm not surprised that, that Zane's had the success that he has. But that's probably the one that I know the best. Yeah. And then you see the rodeo guys that kind of try and that, well, that do make the transition into commentators. How much of that do you see coming in the future with the advent of this channel and everything else? I, th- I think you'll see it's, it's one of those things where I think we need, um, obviously, you want more, you know, you know we're going to need more commentators, you know, and, and Joe Beaver does a great job and, and Don Gay does a great job. But I, I'm, I'm excited to see the next generation come along. Um, as a host too, you know, uh, and I think you'll we'll, we'll see more and more of that, and and you just kind of get them and groom them and do some things on that line. Some guys are just naturals. I mean, Joe Beaver and Don Gay both are they're naturals. They're talkers, you know. Um, I know that PBR has been using Sage Kimsey, which I find interesting. Um, your competitors, greatest bull rider, but go ahead and bring him on in. Um, edit that out if you want to. But uh, <laughs> but but you know he's a he's a guy I think that has a lot of potential too in terms of of Sage and um, yeah there's you got to find those guys that have the gift of gab Peyton Bray for Pete's sakes you know the team roper good lord he's fantastic and I mean that's a guy that I would put in a host role you know huh. I, yeah because I, he's got that kind of he's got that kind of camera presence and that kind of gab and he's a great thinker and a good talker good you know? talker yeah and that's the kind of guy like a like a Pat Summerall who played in the NFL and became a big time play by play guy. Payton's one of those guys that I, I wouldn't hesitate to train him up a little bit and put him in a host role. No kidding. Hmm. He's homely. He's homely. You know what I mean? He's not camera friendly. <laughs> He's short. Yeah. He oh short. my gosh. Yeah. Maybe radio for him. I Maybe. Don't know. I don't Podcast. know. Yeah. That's what Landry does here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I just the the whole the whole business of television and the growth and what do you see the growth? Where do you see it going? Well, we've seen some Western. waves. We've seen some waves. You know, we're we're all young enough here at the table that you know we remember Urban Cowboy, you know, and that caused a heck of a wave. And then you had eight seconds, um, and that caused a wave. But now I think you, you take the, the Cowboy Channel and and uh, and what Taylor's doing, you know, with Yellowstone and, and 1883. Uh, it's a wave that's going to last a long time. And I think what you've touched on, the culture in America, where you have guys kneeling during the National Anthem or not coming out of the locker room at the National Anthem compared to, you know, saying a prayer and, you know, and the National Anthem, and it's way more heartfelt, you know, that, that Cowboy kind of, uh, commitment to America, a John Wayne kind of feel, you know. I think that's appealing to a lot of people. Um, so I, I think this is a this is going to be a bigger, longer lasting wave than what we saw with 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 those other two movies mm-hmm. you know, that created that. I'm gonna go buy me a bad hat, you know, because I want to look like John Travolta uh, kind of thing. Uh, and I, I like I like Taylor for his authenticity too, you know, and he does a lot of things. Not that. Not that Yellowstone is, you know, it's kind of the godfather with the cowboy hat, but he's still, he's still, he's still legit. And I know he knows he's got to sensationalize some things, but still does a pretty good job of, of making them look like they, they are cowboys, you know, and not a, you know, good grief. You see some of those movies and Westerns where, you know, it's just 
a lot of cliches and and bad wardrobe. Um, I loved 1883. I don't know if you guys watched it. My, I wife, have. Was, my wife was like, "This is as good as Lonesome Dove." And I was like, "Whoa, hey, hold Way on, easy." Let's but go ahead. Still yeah, let's pretty go ahead. close. Let's take a step back. There. Right. <laughs> let's go ahead and take a step back there. You know. Uh, but I thought 1883 was really good, and I think the next one's more of the, you know, in the early 1920s as they got the ranch going there in in Montana. Um, I, I think the Sixes, I guess, are coming out with a Sixes show. I don't know that for sure. I'm really asked Taylor. Um, but obviously they bought the four sixes for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's for horse breeding and running cows. Mm-mm. You know, when you pay that much for it, you better have some Hollywood money in it and and be able to create some some movie type content out of there. So I I, I think it's I, I think it's uh I think it's gonna make a pretty deep cut. I think it's gonna I think it's gonna keep going for quite a while. Well just look at how long Yellowstone has lasted. Yeah. Already. And uh, I love the eighteen eighty three. Even more, it was kind of more of my lifestyle, and I think that now he's found it, he's tapped into it. He's just going to keep going with it, and there's some genuineness to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a friend in the cow horse that uh, got sick, <clears throat> got a healthy young guy, got uh, bone cancer, and Taylor started an auction for him and helped um, the uh, club that I'm part of raise, you know, $400,000. That someone like that doesn't really have time to do that. He, he, he He's operating a level that is so high. Everyone wants a piece of his time. And he just goes outside, gets on his cell phone, makes a video for us and sends it just to help this guy at no benefit to himself, just to help this guy's family get him through this illness that it's still, you don't, we don't know if he's going to make it or not. I don't know when he sleeps. He's got so many projects. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's a, it's astounding the amount of coverage that he's making on the world, the amount of uh, country he's covering. Yeah. You know, he's at the million. He's got the, that, um, that reigning show. He's got the number one cable television show. I mean, it's just it, it's just incredible to me how much time he's spending, and then to to lend to us to come and do some commentating, be at the shows, and I mean, how does he have time? You just maybe just go to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and writes great stuff. They took over the stockyards. When they they filmed so much of it, not here on the, in the you know in the exchange building area, but on the other side of, of Main Street, they came in there. They brought in dirt. They they leased all that up. They fenced it all in. Uh, they made it look like Fort Worth in 1883. And they had been up there like you you would, it'd just be like they would just shut everything down here, you know. And they were all taping up there. And I was like, I need to go up there one night. And so I texted him and said, Hey, can I come up and tomorrow and and. Uh, and watch you guys shoot because I heard they were about to wrap up. He goes, yeah, come on up. And so instantly I got a text from like, I don't know who. You, and so they told me where to come, you know, when, that night. So I came back. He goes, don't get there till almost dark. He goes, because nothing's going to be happening until, until about dusk. And so I go, okay. So they tell me where to park. And I pull in. I was like, this is easy. And as soon as I got out of my truck, here comes security. <laughs> and so I was like, hey, I'm, you know, I was like, here's, here's the story. So they called the, the production manager. 
And the production manager comes up, and I don't think he really believes me either. I'm like, hey, I'm Jeff Metters, president of the Cowboy Channel, coming up to see Taylor. And he he didn't get three feet away from me. You know what I mean? So I'm just like, he may not believe me. I don't know. <laughs> so I see uh, uh, I see Faith. You know, she's kind of dressed up over there. I was like, oh, that's cool. Uh, and then I, I see Tim, who's like dressed, you know, barely even recognized him. Uh, you know, I really wanted to meet Sam Elliott because I've never met Sam Elliott. Uh, I got to about... 10 feet from Sam before the night was over with, but never met him. And so that guy's just standing right there by me. He didn't care. He was like, mm, I'm on a short leash right here. And then <laughs> Taylor was in there, like a tent, the director's tent set up. And uh, Taylor, they were shooting a scene right there. They had all the, the windows darkened up on, which was the bar, which was their focus. And then when he finished that scene, he saw me. He said, come on over here. And he sent me down like in the, in the director's tent and gave me the, the headphones like five or six monitors and it was the only night that billy bob thornton was on set so I was like what a perfect night and i sat by his agent for a while and talked to him and then faith hill just came and sat down by me and like in those situations i speak when spoken to last thing i want to do is like you know or, and she was so nice and she's like are you with cowboy channel and rfd and i go yeah and she goes yeah i was adopted by a mississippi farm family and she's like i watch rfd all the time makes me feel like home I was like, well, that's fantastic. She was so nice. Met her daughter. And then I watched Billy Bob Thornton kill the same six guys about 14 times. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, ah, I'm probably good here. And then I talked to Taylor a few days later. He goes, what'd you think? I said, I could have done a scene. Because I'd seen it. I was like, you want to dance at the bar? Or you want to drink at the bar? Drink at the bar. You want to dance with the girls? Dance with the girls. You fancy yourself a killer. You're in the wrong town because there's only one killer in Fort Worth. That's me. Like, I could have done the scene. Just shot them all. So, you know, I could have done it all. But it was, it was fun to see it. But it's a, man, it's a slow process. And Taylor was directing, so you got to see a, a different side of him. That was the, I'm in charge, Taylor. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, just, but I thought 1883 was fantastic. Yeah, me too. And uh, just like that, I mean, that's a lot. You, he's got a lot riding on him. And oh how does gosh. he keep, what I love is how he comes up with the material. It's, it's like television has become this box that you just fit in. You, it's the same, it's the same show over and over. And he goes off, off of what is normal anymore in all of his shows. Yeah. You know, Sicario is one of my, one of my favorites. Fantastic. Yes. Hell or High Water is I love Hill or High Water. Yes, yeah. 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 Wind River, yeah. And so. he's he just keeps coming up with original stuff. Well, he writes what he knows, and I love that, you know? Yeah. And there's so much, if you're a cowboy, like you guys appreciate it, as you watch a Yellowstone or whatever, how much legit stuff that's in there. That's subtle that only you guys would notice. Mm-hmm. You know? But, yeah, and it's... How unplanned, it, how unplanned he makes life in his shows. There's, there's, it just goes off in different directions all the time. Yeah. And I'm good with all the killing and stuff. <laughs> I, yeah. I like that whacking the bad guy to y'all. Take, oh, wow, I don't know where take that to the went. Train station. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm so sick of the give them their gun back and turn your back on them and all that. Just. Just shoot them. Jesus <laughs> Christmas. Get it over Put with. They're not misery. getting better already. Yeah. <laughs> give There's me no a break. There's no rehabil rehabilitation here. No, give me a no. break. No. Make another one. They've had their chance. 
Yeah, they had their chance. They're <laughs> thirty. Now wasting oxygen. <laughs> yeah, they're forty years old. Do you think they're going to change? Stop talking about me like that. <laughs> <laughs> You're an anomaly. <laughs> well, at, at risk of uh, being tardy and saying that we'd like to honor your time, this has been a uh, oh, it's been fun. Pretty good afternoon. Yeah, yeah thoroughly enjoyed it. Very so, fun. I, I Started wish, to break it up in pieces. I wish the uh, I wish the audience could have seen your face when Russell says, "Yeah, these are usually about uh, two and a half or three hours long." <laughs> he said four or five. I said four or five. <laughs> <laughs> two to like, six. He's like, "I'm not that interesting. I can tell you my life story in 15 minutes, <laughs> and then we'll probably still have five minutes to spare." Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that we missed a lot, but I know that uh, I know for me, I've just I've been a huge fan. For well, most you. of my life. Yeah. And uh, the impact you've had on the whole Western industry is uh, remarkable. Well, thanks so much. It's just, I, it's, I, I understand that all of this is a, it's not a right. It's just a privilege to be a part of it. So. Hey, yeah, and, and it's it. not like it's over. I mean, he's old, I, but it's, he's got a lot of life I, left. <laughs> I don't know. I tell my kids I'm over 50. I could die at any minute. So being, they're still not nice to me. <laughs> My wife keeps telling me, she says, you said you weren't going to live past 35. I says, no, no. I says everything past 35 was a bonus, but she, is, doesn't feeling like she is signed up for something that she did not intend to. <laughs> I've got this insurance policy and you're already 40. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, enough already. It's enough a, already. Five bonus years is plenty. <laughs> I know. Well, if you get Jeff a barrel horse for his wife. There we'll have I, it. I talk about my wife, if, if something happened to me, once she got the insurance check, she would mourn all the way to Maui. <laughs> and then she'd be fine. She'd be totally fine once she got oh, to Maui. Who? Jeff yeah. who? Oh. I'm single. I'm single here, people. I'm single and loaded. So, yeah. So I joke with my wife all the time. She's uh, really sad for about five minutes and then be like, puppy? <laughs> New puppy? New husband? <laughs> It's fine. Mine can't live without me. I don't know. She's, like, <laughs> She's addicted to you. Yeah. 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 I I schedule everything. <laughs> Ru Russell and I definitely outkicked our coverage. Ben, ben can only hope to be so lucky. I'm like my buddy Rodney Carrington. She can leave me, but I'm going with her. <laughs> Hold on. I'll get my stuff. Hold on. Fine. Where are we <laughs> going? Let me grab my stuff. Let me grab my stuff. <laughs> oh. Well, well, thanks again for joining us, Jeff. And uh, so till next time, go fast, make good decisions. Thank you for listening to Cow Horse, Full Contact. Please like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram to stay tuned for future episodes.